Welcome to Making Coffee, a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into making one of the world's favorite beverages. I'm your host, Lucia Solis, a former winemaker turned coffee processing specialist. Thanks for joining this week's episode. Welcome to episode 14 with George Howell. I'm excited to be able to bring you this candid conversation with a coffee legend. One of my favorite facts about George is that he was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Specialty Coffee Association in 1996. You guys, this is the Lifetime Achievement Award even before he helped found the Cup of Excellence program in 1999. So since then, he's achieved a lot towards improving coffee quality and educating consumers on all fronts. What I admire most is that he continues to be an advocate for quality. He's been in the industry for over 40 years, and I was surprised to learn that he continues to travel to maintain his relationships with coffee producers and that he visits Antigua every year. This is how our trips overlapped and we were able to get together. Even though George has had a long career in coffee compared to myself, and even though we approach coffee from different points of view with different backgrounds, I was surprised to learn how much we had in common when it comes to processing and our kind of how we approach coffee, our philosophies. At one point in Antigua, over a dinner conversation, I casually said bricks, and he immediately responded with, I don't want to hear any of that nonsense, which immediately made me laugh because I said I completely agree. And if you don't think measuring bricks in coffee is nonsense, then I'm planning a future episode to help untangle the myths from the facts. But unfortunately, that night I didn't record our conversation during dinner, but I was able to meet him the next day and I brought my recording equipment to capture parts of our conversation because I wanted to be able to share his perspective with you. So we were outside in a busy cafe, and I'd bought the cheapest possible microphones to travel with several months ago. So I hope the audio is not too distracting because George has a lot of interesting things to say about coffee prices, competitions, certifications, and kamikaze farmers. I also now have a Patreon account so that I can grow this podcast and bring you more interviews and information like this. So for the cost of one cup of coffee a month, you can help me keep this podcast ad-free and sponsor-free. If you found any of these episodes helpful, please share with a friend and go to patreon.com slash making coffee. Your support is greatly appreciated. Oh, one last thing before jumping in. During our conversation, you'll hear us refer to Raul, who is a producer in Guatemala from Finca La Soledad. We had dinner with him the night before, but he wasn't there for this follow-up conversation. So whenever we just mention Raul, that's who we're talking about. Okay, here's our conversation. Something that I was really surprised by our conversation yesterday was how much we actually agree. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. agree a lot more than, right. than I originally thought we I would. I suspected as much after talking to you the first time in mm -hmm. Boston. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that's a big misconception as well yeah. in terms about my work that because it's so yeast focused yeah, right. that I want to inoculate everything and homogenize that, and standardize. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. Do you, rem I, you may not remember, but the first time that, um, that we met, actually we didn't really meet, but it was very briefly. It was in 2007 at the Rico expo and I had just talked oh, about yeast. Wow. And 2000 what? 2017. 2017 sorry. Okay. I'm going, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you age really well. <laughs> well, I hope that's true as well. <laughs> no, it was 2017, okay. and it was uh, Expo, and I had just spoken about yeast, and I think I must not have done a good job of explaining kind of the use case yeah. or how kind of my vision for it, because it was still very new. And I know that you were very uh, concerned with bringing that yeast to, like you'd asked me if I had ever worked in Africa, and I said I hadn't at right. that point, and, right. and that you didn't want ah, me to come okay. there and ruin the tour and ruin what was going <laughs> I on. I hope I didn't say it quite like that. <laughs> and I was so... I, I usually try to be a little better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it was like my... Seriously. It was my first time, and I'm like, I'm already making enemies. I was yeah. so <laughs> nervous. Yeah. No, I, you'd have to do a lot to do that. Seriously, because it's the question of whether there can be a dialogue or not. Yeah. Even if you had that position, it would mm -hmm. still be worth my learning more. Mm -hmm. Like the guy I met last year here in Bayavista, where we're go where we're going now. Mm -hmm. 
uh, he was doing exactly that. It's yeast, it's going to be applied, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. I'm still really nice with him and learning as much as I can. Mm -hmm. How are they doing it? What are they doing it? All the rest. But I would say to him too that I have my doubts. Not just doubts, but yeah, yeah. also being cautious. It's like yeah. we can get so excited about a new technology and then apply it before we really understand the consequences. Yes, and some of the yeast I've tried, some of the coffees from that, don't taste natural to me. Mm -hmm. and There's I, something about them. So that was something that we agreed on last night that I thought was interesting was tasting process. I think mm. that's also um, a misuse of of yeast and then also of processing. Like you should still be able to taste the cultivar. You should still be able to yeah. taste the sweetness. Like, right. And, and so right now, because processing has become it was like ignored for so long yeah. and now it has a spotlight and it's almost too bright and so there's so much focus on tasting the process. It's the competition. Yeah. I think it's competition around the world with all these cafes and roasters and they're trying to come up with an eye popper mm -hmm. with anything that captures attention, right? And it, it's no longer about the coffee, it's really about. So how do you feel about that compared to because Cup of Excellence is a competition that was meant to highlight really producers. It really concerns me hugely. Uh, you know, I mean, I created Cup of Excellence. Yeah. It was my idea. Uh, and to see it. Yeah, so now they're cupping, and they're cupping simultaneously now. Washed naturals and uh, mm -hmm. everything in be anaerobic and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Amazingly enough, they're still picking out pure Caturas and pure, and they're mm -hmm. in the top ten as well. At least that was the case in Brazil. I was surprised mm -hmm. that the jury was able to do that. So that's a compliment to the jury. Mm -hmm. Because you're hitting those, those other ones and they're like... Yeah. Like, <clears throat> so, but they never get the top, top prizes, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't spent the time to really look at the top three prizes. You'd have to spend a few hours going Doing through the data one. analysis. I'd be curious about that yeah. too. You so, can see it, you can look it up by just going to Cup of Excellence. On the website? Yeah, and going to the, each country, mm -hmm. say going over the last five years and just seeing what the top 10 are because they always specify the farm and the process, mm -hmm. right? So you can see that. In the past, actually, though, they had them separated because mm -hmm. Brazil, it started with Brazil because Brazil from day one wanted to have naturals along with pulp naturals. And I said, no, right? Um, this is about sweet and clean mm -hmm. and that's all. So. And there were a few that were entered that way, and there were fruity that always got rejected. Because in the in the 80s and 90s, it was still about the classical approach to coffee, right? And fruity was never really, it was always bordering on ferment. Do you feel like competitions have that double-edged sword where they can bring up a producer, but they also create this culture of trying to one-up each other constantly? Yeah, now, yeah, that's happening, for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's happening everywhere. It's not just Cup of Excellence. Mm -hmm. It's happening in every cafe, on the web. It's just happening, right? So Cup of Excellence is merely reflecting mm -hmm. the reality on the ground, right? And what people want. And the Asian culture in particular has been very fruity oriented mm -hmm. and super spectacular. And what surprised me, but and that may be unfair, about eight years ago I was in Tokyo, Japan and elsewhere, and I went to a number of cafes and they served me a cup of excellence. I mean, they're all about diplomas and paperwork. I mean, it's, and I was served garbage. I mean, because this was like year old cup of excellence that hadn't been stored properly or anything else. It didn't matter. All that mattered was their stupid piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Right, so, but I did have one cup of excellence from El Salvador from a guy at a tiny little cafe. I have a photograph of it at home. Um, I don't know if he's around still. And, you know, he did the typical Japanese, every last fine detail, blah, 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 and it was perfect. I mean, it was so sweet. That's awesome. So I don't know how he kept the coffee or whatever, so there was the exception, even there. But that was not the rule. Mm -hmm. But they're all after these, you know, the Koreans in particular, because they, they love uh, kimchi. Mm-hmm. Very strong flavors. So they're after the kimchi coffees, right? No doubt. Yeah. So I also wonder too if there's so like especially in countries like Guatemala or El Sal yeah. that were some of the first to adopt the Cup of Excellence program that if second Guatemala was number two 
and that so now they have almost 20 years yeah. of competitions. Um, if there are, because I've heard some some producers that I've worked with feeling a little bit disheartened that some of the same people are constantly winning. That's absolutely right. Uh, Elian Hertha is the prime example. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to, in the past, Susie Spindler, who was running Cup of X, was great. Just a brilliant woman. Yeah, so El Injerto is dominated. El Socorro, El Injerto, there's a few like that. Um, and there's been this, and Susie's always been very respectful of her board of directors, which I really have had real problems with. Right? I've not dealt with them, but I hear. Uh, and they're very conservative. Mm -hmm. And the Asian group is dominant of necessity because they buy all the coffee. Mm -hmm. Frankly, Americans are cheapos. Period. Mm -hmm. yeah. It really upsets me. Well, I see that, that they, too, that culture that right. coffee should be free. You go someplace and that coffee is included. Look at these roasters who talk about direct trade and everything. What's the matter with them? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with paying a farmer 50 bucks or 100 bucks for a pound of coffee? because that's how well-crafted the coffee was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a reward. And in Colombia, I've seen farms that have really been able to rise from that, right? Their houses are better. I mean, they really benefited. Yeah, others get drunk and use it up, but others actually benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, and not to, not to have that simple sense of rewarding people. So what is that I mean, cheap range? Like, what do you think is a good price? Well, the for, range. Yeah, well, for Cup of Excellence, I kind of gave up. But up about till four or five years ago, I really tried hard again to start buying. And we cut blind. And typically, my favorite coffees were one of the top three. Mm -hmm. And they were going to go for well over 15 bucks a pound. And I would literally start to call various roasters, right? Super specialty, big name. Right. Hey, you want to split it? Because you can't. I couldn't afford to buy 15, 20 bags mm -hmm. at $50 a pound. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like an enormous price. But you can say, I'll take two bags, you take two bags, let's form a group. And we used to do that in the early days of Coffee Connection. I would call up Jeff Watts from Tele in Tele, me, Stumptown in Tele, and some others would get together and split a lot. Mm -hmm. Right? And it worked. But that ceased, and now they're all saying they were all saying to me, "I'll pay up to fifteen dollars." Fifteen. Fifteen was the number wow. back then. That's, screw them. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Well, and I think that's interesting too because some even some consumers are willing to pay that much for coffee. They are. I went to Blue Bottle when uh, Mokhtar's coffee from Yemen oh, was there, and it was there. Like seventeen dollars for one cup. Yeah, so if yeah. I, as a consumer, can pay. 15 17 dollars right. for one cup right. than to pay that much for a whole bag of coffee um, and we're talking we're talking green right so yeah. we're talking 69 kilos right it's a lot of coffee yeah so I think that you're right there's maybe a little bit of a double standard if, if we're trying to asking for standard. consumers right I mean not to understand the value of the competition that raises the bar mm -hmm. right but you do need to the problem becomes that an alien herto becomes richer mm -hmm. and therefore has more and more resources to bear to produce a higher quality coffee, whereas mm -hmm. the smaller farmer doesn't. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very hard, despite how careful the competition is to make sure that no one is favored. So what tried what your intention was was to open the gate to open the door to yeah. some of these producers but what it's turned into in the last 20 years inadvertently has become kind of more of the same where there is a little bit of a gate it's a fix to some degree right it, it's it, it, what should have happened and this is again the board of directors fault and I'm glad to be quoted mm -hmm. on that uh, for not understanding that that uh, a, a, a farm like uh, like Elin Hertha should be announced years ago as a grand crew. Mm -hmm. Nominate coffee cup of excellence grand crew coffee, and they get that name, right? Now they're retired. Mm -hmm. They're not in the competition because they've graduated. Yep. Uh, and at that point, um, also work with them and offer them a website mm -hmm. where they can do their own auction 
and their grand crew and Cup of Excellence sings the phrases of that. And this would happen in Colombia and elsewhere. Now you have this wanting again for other people to get into that grand crew category yes. by winning X number of times in the, say, top five, top three, or something like mm -hmm. that. Right? That's what should have happened. But there's this opposition to all of this stuff. Let's not bother anybody. Let's not do this. Let's not go too far here. Mm -hmm. You know, it was hard to get the, the board to agree to, uh, to vacuum sealing the coffee way back in the beginning. Wow, which seems like a very obvious, very yeah. simple but, request. But some of the Asians didn't want to pay the extra 25 cents for the package. Mm -hmm. I, I really, mean, it's nuts. I, and yet they're yeah. paying 50 bucks and 100. And then the other thing with Cup of Excellence is some of the biggest companies like that, the Asian ones, don't pay, you know, until months later, right? I mean, Bus Soledad, which won 10th place, wasn't paid. I mean, the auction was like in May or something like that, or June. Mm -hmm. They weren't paid until October, November. It's how many stories I've heard of producers not getting paid for months right. and months. Right. That and this is at least, and it's hearsay. I can't say for sure, mm -hmm. right? Because I hear it through the grapevine like you do, right? But it's apparently certain Japanese importers that I think have been put on notice about they can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And when we had the talk last year at Boston and we did the Cup of Excellence, I brought that out. Mm -hmm. I didn't name them, mm -hmm. but I tried to shame them. Because right. to me, that's outrageous. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that I thought was really interesting that you mentioned was you would split a winning lot with other roasters. All the time. Why did that change? Was that a competition thing? Why do you think there's No, more? you can still do it. Okay. It's nobody, if you're buying one of the top copies, they don't want to, an American typically doesn't want to pay more than 15 bucks a pound. Okay. That's sort of their limit, right? That's ridiculous. Jeff Watts now has become more involved. He's been on the board of directors. So I can definitely talk to him and split, mm -hmm. right? And I finally, I can't, I shouldn't be saying I, because I'm sure there were others, like Jeff I know wanted that too, but I certainly was banging on the door that, frankly, they should do what, um, what La Esmeralda does and what, um, what El Injerto did after that. So, backwards, La Esmeralda, um, uh, Price Peters called me up years ago and said, we're going to do a, a, uh, an auction of our own coffees. How would you break it up? And so with my experience about the problem of trying to buy this bulk, I said, you should put your coffees at 300 pounds. They're around there, small, really small amounts, so they're affordable, right? And I thought Americans would say, wow, great, I can get 300 pounds, I can afford that, right? No. If you take a look at La Esmeralda, you know, maybe one other American buys it from time to time or something like that, but no. So who are the bigger buyers? Japanese, Japan? Japan, Korea, mm -hmm. probably China now too, right? Um, not, not the Americans, and very few Europeans too. That was not the case in the beginning. Right. So I did not expect that. Do you but think there needs to be like a culture change, a little bit more education into what goes into processing? Because I think it's hard to say we want people to value it more. It's got to come from consumers. Okay. And also, it's always younger, at least I've noticed, it's always younger generation people getting into the business who are looking for a new way and innovation who still have in their youth the need or the desire to some degree change the world or to do better than what's out there, right? And so you're seeing it's mostly younger people in their 30s who are moving towards freezing coffee, for instance, mm -hmm. right? I've watched three generations go by and not do that right, while I'm doing it. Do you think also it helped that, the, has the technology changed at all to make it a little bit easier, more affordable? Screen freezers. Okay. How's that for technology? <laughs> right? Yeah. So Mokhtar's coffee at $100 a pound is in my ice cream freezer mm -hmm. that I bought secondhand for a few hundred bucks. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this is not a big deal. And it allows you, and this whole grocery 
stuff is more garbage still. If you're going to compare coffee to a grocery, then you're going to pay prices for groceries. Mm -hmm. There's no way. I mean, just to treat it that way, now it has none of the prestige that wine or great tea has. Right? Which depends to some degree on some longevity. Mm -hmm. More so wine. And, I mean, wine really happens when the bottle is created mm -hmm. and the cork, you know, in the 18th century, at the end of it. Right? For coffee, it's freezing and that direction mm -hmm. is kind of like that. It, the more convenient you can make it for consumers, yes. the faster you can make it. I want to ask you about Especially so many things right now. <laughs> like, right? Well, does that mean that you you think that home roasting is a good direction? Yeah, because it's part of the craft. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my dream is if we had a big enough warehouse, right, uh, and that was accessible for people, which is all tricky in Boston because of the cost, but uh, is to have a place where we're, we have a cafe that's pretty open, and we have all kinds of equipment people could buy, including equipment that maybe one person in 10 years might buy. Just the whole shooting match, right? Which is it's story, it's sculpture, it's all these things, right? With appeal. But also home roasters. The best ones, say five of them, right? All plugged in and ready to go. Mm -hmm. So, in I walk, or Jake, or something like that, says, if you'd like to know how to roast this or try out, we have some coffee for you, mm -hmm. and uh, you're welcome to spend, you know, an hour or whatever actually test roasting the coffee. And right. then you would sell the green coffee? Yeah. Okay. I'd sell the green coffee. Right. And so you think that... So I think that, so it just furthers the whole sense of craft and, and connects us to people, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> for me, that's the idea of the, of the Godfrey. Is the connection to people. We're not just serving them, we're, we're talking with them mm -hmm. and learning from them too. That's another thing when I do cuppings or tastings with consumers. The first thing out of my mouth is, I may, one of you may be a better cupper than I ever was. I have found some consumers are able to, to instantly tell me what a coffee tastes like better than I could, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's mind boggling. Right. So but, I'm always um, looking for that. The lines right. of home roasting. I, I have mixed feelings about it because I agree that however we can introduce the consumer and have them play a more active part in the yeah. coffee, they can see how much work it is, they can, like you say, participate. But what I see most of the home roasters or kind of the brewing equipment is more towards robotics and mechanized and pushing a button oh, that God. further separates oh, people from oh, the I coffee. Oh, I hate that. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I walked into a hamburger place to have it. It was all automated. Yeah, robots. I had to run out of there. <laughs> okay. It's like we're already so separated from mm -hmm. everything. I already go nuts when I see people in the far in the woods or whatever running with. Yeah, with their headphones, yeah, listening and their to pots. something, and clearly Ignoring not blowing nature. their minds about where they are. Right. So if there, I guess the middle ground would be a way to have a home roaster that was more interactive instead of pushing a button. Because, oh yeah, because what I but see, most roasters are that way. You really have to know. You really have to know. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about like the Ikawa, where they do oh. make it very simple to push a button. The two times I've had Ikawa were dreadful. <laughs> Probably because that's how they're roasting it, I don't know. But mm -hmm. uh, I've yet to be convinced. Mm -hmm. The two people who raved about it didn't give me exact great examples of it. I'm a huge fan of the technology for producers to allow a producer yeah. to roast their own coffee without with a really low barrier of entry. Yeah. If you can get good curves right. where they can get more immediate feedback. We talked with Raul last night where he says, I don't know what my coffee tastes like until it's over. So having a tool like the Ikawa at their beneficio where they can oh, yeah, roast yeah, yeah. immediately and get much more immediate feedback right. and then change something that they're doing, right. I think using the technology in that way, but I don't see that many people no. hopping on board yet. It's interesting. Daterra. Most of the coffee is not that good. Okay. But it's fascinating to go to. It's huge. He's, he was in the tire business, multi-millionaire, maybe more, 
and he's got this gigantic farm in Cerrado in Brazil. Um, he went to Harvard. He, he, he's a smart okay. guy. Different kind of right. producer then. Yes, totally. And very uh, uh, visionary. Mm -hmm. There's no way to put it other than that. And so he's the one who told me 15 years ago that they tried bricks and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Right? Just didn't. And now what they do is they'll go to various parts of the field and actually collect the certain cherries that look ripe just enough and take them to their lab, clean them in a day, and ro sample roast them. And that's how he determines when to harvest a particular section. Is based on the actual cupping of it. <laughs> right? The cupping of it, the visual, like all of the cues yeah. that nature gives us. Like nature right. doesn't provide bricks for us. Like we've yeah. looked at that. So that right. was one thing I was really happy to know that we were on board. But I like the fact that he tasted it. Yeah. Uh, and that tells them when it's ready. Because that is the only way. Maybe there are tools for the bean, but... He's getting down to that detail. Mm -hmm. right. I don't even with with winemaking, where there is so much more money, there's so much yeah. more right. investment, there's so much more like the the level of uh, technology and tools and research and information is much bigger. If you talk to any winemaker who is experienced and who's making really good wine, they only rely on their tastes. Yeah. They go and they taste the fruit. And they yeah, also get information. But that's secondary. It's to confirm what their taste is that's, providing. And that's the way I feel, too. But you want all the numbers you can get. Yes. The more, the better. Period. And I, I think that's where the conversation with Bricks is like so misinformed, is looking for a number instead of looking for a trend. Yeah, yeah. And even then, I don't think that's helpful because the Bricks is looking at the mucilage and we throw that away right. and we want the seed. So we're right. only measuring the thing that we're throwing away and not measuring the thing that we're trying to... They're a little bit like the evangelicals. <laughs> and simple answers. That's mm -hmm. it. <laughs> right. I'm parked here. <laughs> but as you've mentioned, it's actually turned out to be very detrimental for quality for a lot of producers. It's a simple answer, oh, they're yeah. going for it, and it actually makes things worse. Yes, totally. And it, now you have to relearn something you already knew. <laughs> yes. Yes. Using yeah, your eyes and our mouth. Yeah, several people have told me that. They had to go back, and it was like retraining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's wild. So one of the other things that you mentioned about um, wine and even tea that yeah. has a much more prestigious, a much more ritualistic um, background than coffee and, and some of the things that coffee can learn. I think one of those, both of those wine and tea have the advantage that there's a really strong domestic consumption. Yes. In France, yes. Yeah, 100%. in Japan, and China. There was the culture that was built over a thousand plus years. So yeah. I think that part of helping coffee move into this new place is increasing consumption domestically, yeah. keeping better coffee in the countries, right. expanding the cafe culture, totally. roasting locally. I, yeah. I wish I could see it. a little bit more of that because I think there's still so much pressure. It's beginning, but it's barely, it needs to go much further. But at least now you'll have, you know, El Hano's got its cafe, mm -hmm. uh, UC Bay Vista, um, and they bring in uh, baristas. Uh, Pro Joe was had their baristas here for a month. Uh, just two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. right. So there's some movement mm -hmm. in that direction, much more than before. I mean, God, when I came here in the 80s, I went to one of the most famous farms here in Antigua, and the guy served me in his farm during the harvest. He served me instant coffee. Yeah, and that like still happens today. <laughs> disconnect. Yeah. Right? Today, I don't think one of the farmers here would do that. I've still been to many farms okay. where, I mean, but again, right. they're also, the ones that are hiring me are the ones that would like some help, so yeah. that's a... First thing they need to do is make their own <laughs> damn coffee, period. Yeah. yeah. They need to enjoy it, otherwise. So, with all of your travels, where yeah. have you seen the most developed domestic culture for drinking coffee? Oh, it's got to be Brazil. Brazil? Yeah. I mean, eh, Guatemala's kind of up there, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd say about there, mm -hmm. right? I mean, Brazil, uh, you know, they really started producing more quality laws. 50% of their coffee now is being consumed, right? 
and it's not all junk. <laughs> They've got some specialty cafes and stuff. So it's hard to find a really great cup of coffee, but it's really happening. And the more you can consume internally, the better for the country mm-hmm. by far, because it keeps the price much more regulated. So I'd say, I'd say Brazil and Guatemala, they're the second ones to call me. But, you know, <laughs> There's a connection there. They were watching that. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, that has other issues. Uh, the disconnect between rich and poor here is gigantic. Mm-hmm. And there's very little communication. With the first few coffee connections, I think it was, yeah, it was the first one. Um, they were all large, medium farmers. And by medium, that's still large in mm-hmm. comparison. Right, uh, but definitely non-indigenous winners, right? Who won everything? Uh, and thirty, it was I think it was thirty-three winners. The thirty-fourth, and you had to get, I think it was eighty points. Let's say it was eighty points. It might have been eighty-four because at some point it went up. It was an indigenous co-op, and they missed by a fraction. Wow. To make it, right. And so I wanted a, a special prize, or at least a prize that would say, we're going to give you extra technical help mm-hmm. next year on the house. <laughs> right? I couldn't get anywhere with them. Wow. I thought they just didn't even listen. Yeah. Right? That, that was upsetting to me. I think what you mentioned about creating a, a grand crew category or just a, a, a method for producers that have consistently shown yeah. gains to graduate out of the program. Yeah. Um, I hadn't thought about the grand crew system, but there's so many things that from a wine background, I get frustrated that people are borrowing, yeah. for example, bricks. But the grand crew system is actually a really good idea yeah. to establish that type of credibility right. and leave room for the newcomers. It has to be. Uh, That was the problem with fair trade. Fair trade keeps it closed. And I would tell fair trade people, why don't you have a graduation system? Mm -hmm. Uh, This coffee was really high quality. You know, we highly recommend, get them moving. Right. Mm-hmm. I also noticed on your website that you don't you do have some Rainforest Alliance certified coffees. Yeah. But certification doesn't feature that prominently in your program. No, because again, it's uh, it's hard. I, Raul was saying it best. I mean, when we were at the farm, Raul was saying they were hitting him up there. He was getting ninety five. He got up to ninety seven points or whatever out of a hundred, and then they changed the rules on him. Wow. And he'd suddenly be back to 80. And there were all these little changes. He says, if they'd only give me a plan to know, I would have been there already. Mm-hmm. But to put me back like that, and then I have to take, and then the next year I'm up here, and then the next year, and then to get fall back. So he's not, and it was like $2,000 a year. Mm-hmm. He's not making that much to begin with. Right. So that's an issue. I've seen that as a theme in terms of a good intention, a good idea, but the implementation is off, and so these things that are supposed to help farmers are harming. Exactly. It's a problem that all these organizations, including Cup of Excellence, face. Cup of Excellence is very expensive for a country to do. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of money. It's well deep into the six figures. Okay. From day one. From the for the country to participate, but not for the producers to submit, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. But it means that the country is looking for ways to do it. They they don't. They quickly went towards wanting to make countries did towards making a profit. Yeah. Not that it would be non-profit, and and doing it as a, a little bit like once upon a time, Columbia was doing Colombian advertising. Mm-hmm. The farmers paid a little bit, mm-hmm. right? But it was the country whether that paid for those ads, mm-hmm. right? That's not what happened with Cup of Excellence. But do you think that worked, that campaign for Columbia? I think yeah. it's worked really well. I think oh. it's still known. The, the, when I had Coffee Connection, we were doing it with Scoops. That was our biggest seller. Colombian coffee. That's all you had to say. It was mm-hmm. flying out the door. Yeah. You know, so that, it did help. 
I, I see that too. Like my personal philosophy is the rising tide lifts all boats. So yeah. if any country can increase the profile of some of their producers, it can trickle down and, and give the entire country a better image so that other yeah. producers can also do well. Yeah, well, uh, that is the picture. I would always talk about, you know, if you have Pelé on your team, mm -hmm. right? Your team is going to have <laughs> lots of people watching. Yes. <laughs> and a couple of accents was finding the Pelés of the world, mm -hmm. right? And, and therefore promoting their region. That was the other point that I made, okay? This farm wins. I can't buy that farm because there are already 10 other people ahead of me. Mm -hmm. So I want the farm next door or something else. It promotes a Absolutely. lot more than just the winners if it's done right and if there's the right attitude of the buyers. Mm -hmm. It requires a group. When I think that's another thing that coffee can borrow from the wine industry of having regions like the Napa Valley or the Loire yeah. or Alsace. And that's happening. Here you have it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have that great map that the Guatemalans did many years ago that shows the different regions and flavor notes and so on. Colombia went crazy over it, mm -hmm. maybe a little too crazy, <laughs> but, you know, so there is some of that. So if the change is going to come from, we mentioned earlier, from consumers, you think yeah. consumers need to demand more and they need to... So we need to educate, so the cafes need to teach the consumers okay. to demand more. That's what I'm saying. It's sort of right. like we're, we're saying it's up to them to ask for more, but they don't know right. what they don't know. Exactly. And so what is the roaster or the cafe's responsibility? Like what information should be more... Educating. That's that's what we try to do. Mm -hmm. That's what Tyler was doing at the Godfrey. Right? Mm -hmm. And now we're looking for somebody else to do that. But literally at our cost, because it's not like we make a lot of sales in that little section, but we create a little retail section in that mm -hmm. cafe with a table. Uh, and uh, he'll have people come in to taste this and that. So we can do everything from six coffees of the world mm -hmm. that we orchestrate. First one you taste is Brazil, then you start to go a little bit by altitude. Some of the centers are really good, Catura or Bourbon or one of those, right? And you do one from uh, Central America, and then you do one from Colombia, which is quite different mm -hmm. in taste, right? And then you go maybe to an Ethiopia or something, and then to Kenya, but you give them six totally different flavors. Mm -hmm. So they understand that coffee's a range. Really, it's the rainbow. Mm -hmm. It's just extraordinary, right? So that's one of them. Uh, you have people try ripe versus unripe from the same farm. Mm -hmm. So they understand what unripe really takes. You inoculate them, mm -hmm. right? That's what I call it, <laughs> right? So they can't unsee it. They can't untaste it. Yeah, yeah it was really funny because I uh, there's this guy who came to our warehouse. We sell coffee for people who just walk into the warehouse, and they, we were cupping, and there was some aged, really aged coffee. And I, this consumer walks in, and I say, "Hey, we're cupping." I always say that you're welcome to join us, mm -hmm. right? And he comes in and I said, this is really aged. And he got it. And then I sold him a coffee and he came back and said, this is really aged. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> right? I think so there it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? You need to, uh, but the trick is, it's not everybody who's going to go out. There are those people who are influencers. Mm -hmm. Well before the time of Instagram. Mm -hmm. Of course. Right? And it's a matter of catching the influencers, whoever they are. And that person is now going to tell the 10, 15, 50 people that they know about how much better and why. Now you have somebody on your team. So how do you find those people? That's a good question. That's what I'm struggling with. That's why the cafe was built the way it was, was made as beautiful as I thought I could make it. So for right. you, it's kind of like a lighthouse, like you're making this lighthouse yeah. and you're hoping it's a beacon. to attract the people that are That's exactly are right. Those are the most important. We do the smaller ones, the little outlets, because they bring the money. Mm -hmm. right? The Godfrey is also profitable, but that's like the Queen Mary. It's hard to get it going. Mm -hmm. It's trickier. It takes more time, and it's a bigger investment. So we do both. Like the five to one ratio is mm -hmm. ideal, um, but we need to put other cafes up like that, right? in key locations where influencers might come hotels, students, their parents, because I saw that with Harvard Square when we had coffee connection. Mm -hmm. They'd bring their parents in. Parents would become buyers of mm -hmm. our coffee. So we had a big mail order business. Not because of the internet, which didn't exist, mm -hmm. but because of that, right? Um, 
Like I'd love to get back to Harvard Square, but the rent's 200 plus dollars a square foot, right? Wow. So we'd have to be selling Mokhtar's coffee at least several times a day. <laughs> right. I, do you think we can get there? I don't know. I only know that's what drives me. Yeah. Right. So that's what you're hopeful about. Yeah, yeah. That direction. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Right. Truly. So I can't find investors who want to make their venture capital mm -hmm. turnover. Mm -hmm. I learned that at Coffee Connection. Because that, now you're on a fast track, mm -hmm. right? And so you're all about organization and, and more numbers and, and finance all over again and meeting certain goals. And you just, it's got to be a slower push, mm -hmm. right? You need the capital, you need investors, but you need investors with a heart mm -hmm. uh, or a sense of time, right, as well. And they exist. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of finding. Right. I think yeah. about the um, you're saying consumer education is really important and the two things that I remember you mentioning are chasing the rainbow and yeah. kind of broadening the definition of coffee to not just maybe like a Central American wash coffee like the, what everybody's kind of typical coffee flavor is right. and saying that there's a whole rainbow and then also yeah. age and learning to recognize that's a big passion uh, of mine too is having age, people yeah. recognize well recognize even just stale coffee you know coffee well we do that that's mm -hmm. exactly what we do so we'll do a Costa Rican Tarazoo mm -hmm. and the first one they try is one year old but frozen right uh, just roasted and fresh, right? So they taste that. And it's always a spoon or two into a, their own glass and they drink from their glass. So there's no, it's closer to a wine. It's mm -hmm. drinking it, right? It's cooler, so they taste more. Yeah. On the one hand, and it's very hygienic. So they don't have to worry about colds and other things. Yes. Right. So, uh, and then they can, and then they're told, just like with wine, uh, w when you go to the next cup, you take a little bit, put it in, swirl it, dump it, mm -hmm. and now so you're conditioning that. your glass. Exactly. So that whole thing is there, which mm -hmm. people really like. So I forget where I was with that. Well, I, I was know. saying that you're focusing on those two areas of education, whereas one of the unfortunate things that I see in terms of consumer education yeah. is talking about altitude and talking about uh, maybe processing. So they'll say, I yeah. want an 1800 you know, meter, some canyon process, or they're oh, asking no. Can for... Can we forget that? That never happened. How many people ask for altitude? I don't think that's ever happened. Yeah, it uh, might I, happen on the West Coast. I think it does yeah. happen a little bit more on the right. West Coast. I think your customers are much more um, aware or informed, right. but I still think that that is an easy marker that right. people can hold Which on to. Which is such a small piece of it. Yes. I mean, you know. Uh, so we mentioned the altitude in feet, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, if you're in Guatemala, I'd say meters. Yeah. I speak the language that exists in the country, for God's sake. Um, yeah. So, so it's part of the picture, it. but I think it's yeah. a short And I have a graph when I give my lecture, mm -hmm. you know, that shows the higher up you go, the more acidic the coffee, the brighter, and the more floral notes will typically come out as well. But these are general rules of thumb, and they're not absolutes either. Mm -hmm. There's always the surprise. There's always the exception. There's what latitude you are. All mm -hmm. of these things play into it. But generally speaking, it's like wine too. Mm -hmm. Higher altitude, the more acidity. So it fits. Mm -hmm. So they need to know that, but it's not the only criteria. It's not the only criteria. Stretch. The other thing is if I can get a great Guatemala, which I haven't. I've had very good ones, but not a great one recently. But I would love to then put that one, that amazing one, next to a really good one and say, you don't taste the difference yet, right? It's hot, but now wait 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now try it. See, there's, oh, there's a difference happening. So teach people that, right? They, if they get it, they're empowered, mm -hmm. like way beyond where they were. I try to talk about that too in terms of heat being kind of a mask for defects. It is. It's a, it's a mask for everything. <laughs> yes. Right? And I say to them, when you're doing a drip, at first, a light roast is going to taste kind of watery. Mm -hmm. you know, and then it's going to build. You know, and there's a certain moment where it's really full. and, and So it's a discovery. Mm -hmm. right. So my last question is something that's really relevant to my work and my potential clients and maybe even my past clients because yeah. they, a lot of them would like to compete in Cup of Excellence and uh, they're looking for processes to help them get there. They're looking for uh, ways to change their... 
And one of the conversations is additives and what constitutes as something natural and what constitutes as something that is um, extrinsic or external yeah, or kind of man-made. And I just really wanted to hear your thoughts on... I hate the idea of adding anything. Yes. Combo Accents was created to, to show up the craftsperson. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that may be a different way of looking at yeast because yeast is already part of the environment. Yes. So that is already something that the birds bring in, the insects bring yep. in, the wind brings in. That's right. So that's not an external, and it's really hard to tell what is coming from birds, and maybe those birds aren't even native. Maybe yeah. those birds are coming from somewhere else. So I think that when you start to try to legislate and like parse that out, it gets very tricky to say what's natural and what's native and what is kind of man-made and extra. Yeah. And so... But they're talking about adding things into the into the coffee uh, through the process, right? So yeah, there's a difference between kind of letting your tank open and letting the wind bring mm -hmm. yeast and bacteria into your tank and then going to a store, buying a packet, opening a packet, right. and then dumping it into the tank. I see that those two are clearly very different. Right. But what I don't see is yesterday we talked about drying and mechanical dryers mm -hmm. and how in some places in Central America or just anywhere where it's humid, there really is no other option for drying coffee. You need to use a mechanical dryer, otherwise you'll never get there because of the conditions. And so we're using a machine to mimic a natural process. This is a man-made piece of equipment that you're using to compensate for what nature gave you. Right. For so, natural? Hmm? For natural coffee? For to dry any coffee. Okay, okay. Maybe because it's I washed. would never recommend doing a natural in a wet zone. Okay. Exactly. I mean, Agree. I am so opposed to that. <laughs> I right? am too. Yeah. A lot of my, a lot of my business comes from people who tried that. It didn't work, and right. they hire me to say, "Why did it go moldy? What happened?" I was really happened? pissed off at a lot of these people. They weren't the farmers. They were uh, the the roasters and yeah. those who were really pushing doing yes. that. And they were they were basically telling farmers to be kamikazes. Mm -hmm. Straight out Russian roulette taken a huge risk yeah. and they also didn't have the the culture or history to know how to do that process they right. think it's as easy as like we'll just put it out on beds just yeah. build some beds yeah no the whole thing is insane yeah that's a huge um, right. no matter how careful you are it can go in a second yes so I think that would be another thing where it's an external like a, a natural process that was developed in the climate of Africa to transpose that into Central America is again the sim similar concept of bringing something foreign. So I see so in some situations with some producers in some locations yeah. using a commercial yeast is a way for producer to make up for what nature didn't provide. But one of the things that yeast is very known for doing is outcompeting mold. And so anytime you use yeast, you I really see. significantly reduce your risk of mycotoxins or any other mold okay, because that's new. that's great. It takes yeah. the place of that. So it's sort of yeah. like if there's 10 seats at the table, yeah. my yeast friends come in and there's we take up all the resources yeah. so all of the molds can't grow. They're right. still there it's not killing them in the environment it's right. just kind of like taking their food yeah no sort of I like that. totally get it that's great so i think that yeast kind of has a bad reputation so if that's what you're the case, saying is using it out of necessity correct and uh, i'm always for that uh, i frankly don't buy uh, honduran coffee i don't buy gulf coast coffees generally. because of the moisture yeah too risky Coffee can age on, on a milk like that. Exactly. All so, these issues. So I just, you know, and even with Cup of Excellence, luckily the only one I had close to that was Nicaragua. But Nicaragua is a deeper country too. Mm -hmm. And you saw that the winning, most of the winning lots were coming further away further from in. the Gulf Coast. Yeah. So what you have there is a situation where you are... Like you straight out don't buy those copies. A lot of other uh, roasters don't buy those copies. Yeah. Not at this time. Not at this time. Because we're still too weak. We're still too small. Mm -hmm. We don't have. We need to be more powerful ourselves. Stronger legs. Yes. Before we venture into that more. So if right. there was a tool that those producers could use yeah. to stabilize their coffee, to deal with the mold moisture aging uh, issue, that's it should be available to yeah. them. Yeah. And so I think that that's one of the places where Cup of Excellence um, is, again, the mission is to uplift far right. farmers and producers and to give them this outlet, yeah. but by limiting it, by limiting the tools they can use, they're yeah. inadvertently, again, closing those doors by saying, 
there is a right way to make coffee, and I don't have believe you that. Have talked to people at Coffee Reference? I talked to one person, yes. <laughs> he told me not to say his name. And so, for that exact same reason, what you were saying with the example of El Ligerto is when you win and you get the benefits of winning and you get yeah. more money, then you have more resources to keep winning. Yeah. Whereas yeast costs pennies, and it is one tool that producers who don't have a lot of options right. can use to kind of bring them up a little, reduce the mold. So like, I think you and I are very similar where you want to bring up the top and I'm just yes. trying to bring up the bottom. Like I really yeah. don't work at the top. I'm just trying to like reduce defects. Well, you are to the degree that uh, somebody in Honduras or in a really wet zone can't ever get to the top. Yes. And they could be. Mm -hmm. If I would be saying you need to use just enough yeast to do that. Yes. And not add flavor. Because we agree. Right. You shouldn't taste the process. Right. It shouldn't mask the other qualities of coffee. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it would be up to Cup of Excellence then to say, okay, we need to learn more about this. Mm -hmm. We need to see what those amounts are, and the farmer should be able to say, because they're using the yeast, that we use just this much and that much to attain exactly this result without harming the microorganisms that are in the... In the and I think so that's that kind possible of thing. to prove. I and think that I'd be all for. Okay. Right? It's when people go out to add things to change the flavor. Mm -hmm. Like there's this one Costa Rican coffee that everybody's talking about that's cinnamon flavored. Mm -hmm. Right? And frankly, people come back and say, I don't believe. That has to be something added. But they can't chemically analyze. They do the analysis, but they haven't found what it could be. Well... I haven't talked to I haven't yeah. talked to them about this, but it's very unlikely that it would come from fermentation because we know the types of flavor yeah, signatures that come. Kind of but yes, you can. But I think they were trying to say. Syrup. Yeah, I think they were trying to say it came from the fermentation. No. Okay. No. They didn't an say additive. That. Could be an additive. Yes. Added at some point. So, it, to summarize, in the use case that I mentioned, using yeast to kind of bring up the ceiling, or sorry, bring up the floor. Yeah. and reduce defects, yeah. clean up the coffee just enough so that it can compete right. to open the door. Right. In that situation, it would be an additive because it is an adding process yes, that isn't there. Yes, but it's also, you know, it's used throughout the wine industry and so on. And again, it's a matter of not trying to create a new flavor. It's trying yes. to... Yeah, so that's a possibility. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm glad you're open-minded to that. Uh, I try to be. <laughs> I try to be. I think it's just a, a thing All that right. people are, it sounds scarier than right. it is. It sounds, yes, like you're altering. So again, it depends how it's used yes. and for what purpose. Right. You'd want to have that fairly, you know, what happens when it's too much yeast and so on. But then it wouldn't probably, this is where... How do you draw the lines and yeah. where do you draw them? Right. So that would be tricky, but you know, you have to first say, this is the issue, this is what we can do, and we need to explore it. Mm -hmm. right. Cool. Well, thank you that. so much. Well, I yeah, think you I have should a lot. definitely meet Reach Susie <laughs> and Darren. Yeah. Susie is the most focused person in Ace, end of story. The, by far the most focused. She's the one. Uh, that made the survival of Cup of Excellence right up until today possible. She's the one who met all the macho runners of Central America and could say and did say no uh -huh. a lot of times with <laughs> real problems, right? But she had guts and, and she really tried to keep the board of directors moving in the right direction, but often unable to, but always respected that they made the decisions. Thanks for listening to this conversation between myself and George. If you're in the Boston area, I highly recommend going to one of his cafes. The Godfrey Hotel location, which we talked about in this episode, has a beautiful retail section with a full range of equipment for sale, as well as coffee cuppings that are open to the public and group education classes. And if you can't make it to Boston, try ordering some of his coffee online. Because remember, life's too short to drink bad coffee. Catch you next time.